right, well, welcome, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Um, if you were not here last week, uh, we started this series called What I Really Want. Um, and this is a series on temptation. And just to keep us all on the same page, the definition that I'm using for temptation, we're not necessarily just talking about like, well, I'm tempted to work out when I should really be doing homework. That's not exactly what I'm talking about, like sin specifically, and sin as the Bible defines sin. And so I put up a definition um, that I actually, I ripped off from a guy named Craig Rochelle. Um, I want to put it on the uh, screens if I can right now, that temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God, meaning that in order to kind of have this thing that you're tempted to have or do this thing that you're tempted to do, that you will do anything, you'll fall to this kind of temptation, um, which means disobedience, because God wants this, but you're going to do this thing over here. Now, um, this could take all kinds of forms. One of the things I said last week was just how I think a lot of us, if I can just be really honest, and maybe if you had a chance to be honest with me, that we couldn't necessarily like list all of the sins listed in the Bible. And there's, there's a lot, right? There's a lot of things you could do wrong in this, in this life. And so some of what we're doing, not just this week, but through Fuse in general, is just talking about some of those things. Not just do this, don't do that, but we really want to see Jesus as our king. And if he says, hey man, I've got some guidelines for you and how you live, and these things over here are going to point you away from me, um, then, then, then we should follow his way and not these other things that we're tempted to, to follow. Now, the thing is, especially at your age, um, one of the things that makes temptation uber difficult is uh, peer pressure and friends. Because if you've got a friend that's doing something that you're even mildly interested in doing, you're like, okay, I'll just go along with it with you, you know? And it's kind of like, um, you know, if you're being good on a, like a diet, for example, and you're like, you got a friend who says, hey, we're going to go to uh, make some cookies. You want to make some cookies with us? Or if you're like, well, I'm trying to like stay away from certain, certain things, but you, you've got someone that takes you right into the lion's den where all that stuff is happening. Um, friends have a tendency to have a really big impact, especially in these years. Um, so I've got a couple different illustrations for that. If you'll draw your attention uh, to the screens, you'll see something familiar.
there's never been a better illustration for temptation to sin uh, that I could ever show you. Even just like that you're running from like the danger over here. You've realized it was bad. You've realized there's going to be consequences. And then you're like, ah, kerato. <laughs> like, was that what he's saying? Is, am I getting that right? Okay. So there's lots of those kinds of things in our life. And what we want to make sure that we do is talk about the consequences. Now, I actually have another clip that's a little more serious. And so if you'll go ahead and direct your attention to the screens, we're going to watch this one. There are exact phrases lifted from Stephanie's paper into yours. You want to explain why? Hello? Hey. Hey, Dylan. So, I'm standing here at Greg's party, uh, and I can't seem to find you. Oh. Are you still coming? Yeah, yeah. Great. Well then, are you thinking to be ready at 8.30? Just like in an hour? Yeah. Well, uh, I'll pick you up then. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you in an hour. Wake up! Guess what? My midterm is done. No thanks to you. I was waiting up for you at the library. Where were you? Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I was studying at the cafe. It's three? Did I miss class? Why didn't you wake me up? I came straight from the library. Sorry. And by the way, we have to turn in our midterms tomorrow. Yeah, you know that hurricane in Florida, Josephine? Well, our professor's grandma is out there and no one else can go help, so she has to go move her out. I gotta get started. The whole thing has to be done tomorrow. I is that Dylan Tucker's hoodie? Here, don't forget your glasses, you'll need them. I'm sure you'll be able to pull your paper together. Hey, are you crying? If I flunk, my dad's gonna freak. Steph, I'm totally in trouble. I've just been messing around. Look, I understand. I want to get into med school more than anything, too. Take my paper and use it as a guide. Okay. <laughs> I better get to work. Better late than never. That was a pretty good movie, you know? <laughs> good movie, good movie. I've got a big pathophysiology midterm to get to work on. I better go. Wait, hey, hey, I... But I haven't given you my surprise yet. Well, what is it? Ah, uh, okay. 
two tickets to the Fire 4 Effect show tomorrow night at the arena downtown. Really? So, uh, <laughs> now do you want to stay? Only if you can explain MLA formatting to me. Sorry. I would be a fool to let you leave here without a goodnight kiss. Wow. I'd be a fool if I didn't finish the biggest paper of my college career. Well, just get it done, <laughs> you know? And my grandma always says, get the hardest stuff done first. Look, just, just don't make any plans for tomorrow night. Here's what's gonna happen. Tomorrow afternoon, you'll be in my office at 1 p.m. Your professor and the other deans, along with your mother, will be there. I'm gonna have to expel you. I don't care. I never wanted to go to med school, Dad. That was your dream, not mine. Hi, Stephanie. Actually, I'm gonna need to see you tomorrow as well. Evelyn can explain why. Real life example. Um, last week, I was kind of giving you guys the opportunity to chime in, and I want to do the same thing this week. Um, what are some things that you saw um, where it went wrong in her life? Anyone just kind of want to raise their hand? Fell into temptation, yeah. So she didn't, um, she didn't prioritize her Yeah, yep. Right. Yep. Priorities out of whack. Yep. Interesting. Do you think she do you think she cheated on purpose to get out of med school? It's possible, but oh, so what are you saying? Any loophole? What do you mean? Oh, gotcha. So she was kind of procrastinating this stuff. Uh, that quote unquote she needed to do. Yeah. Anybody else? What's that? She met a dude. Is that Tim? That's why we're raising godly men. Anybody else? There's more there. There's more there. What? Okay. So like the paper. My goodness. She like essentially like deleted a name and put her own name. Can I just can I just give you some real life wisdom? That will never work. Never, ever, ever will it work. Um, I remember when I started my youth ministry career, I had some friends that were entering the educational field, and they were telling me about this little software that they would run uh, that would detect, um, what's the word? Plagiarism. Plagiarism. 
And what's interesting is that there's all kinds of papers, and some of you are like sweating right now. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that software existed. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh, but that, that th there's all kinds of papers and work that's been turned into this software to essentially like show, um, you know, future evidence of, of plagiarism. And so my friend, who's a professor, would say all the time, like, you have no clue how many people will turn in something that is like 93% plagiarized which is not counting their name because they, they swapped out their name and they swapped out a couple different words. But, but even if, even if that software didn't exist, even if, um, do you think that that would be okay? No. So that's like a softball question. Is it sin? Well, that's right. I really want to get into it. Is it sin? Jeopardize your friend. That's the big one I want to talk about in a minute. Were you answering the was it sin question? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, well, and, and you, you said it right at the beginning. What is, what is maybe the word that defines the sin here? I heard lie. I heard, what else? Cheat. I mean, is cheat, is cheat in the Bible? No, what is? We said lie. Steal. Anyone say steal? She stole it. What's interesting is that, is that there's, different, there's times in your life, and I, I want you to kind of dial in with me here. There's times in your life that you're going to have situations and you're like, well, I don't know, like it could, you could call it right, you could call it wrong, or, or you could call it sin or not sin. But this situation doesn't seem to show up in the Bible, so I guess we're okay. But does this seem like okay? No. And I think even if you're not a Christian, okay, so let me just talk to everyone in the room. Let's say you're here, you're not a Christian, you're like, what are we going to talk about tonight? Even if you're not a Christian, I think you're aware of consequences. And, and that, that consequence probably cost her a lot. Um, I, I know that um, this is probably not a surprise to you, but all of our actions have consequences. And, and what's going to happen is, is as you get older, especially high schoolers in the room, as you get older, your consequences get heavier and heavier. Um, and so I'm not saying middle schoolers, your consequences aren't heavier. They don't have effects. Um, you, you know, th they have effects. But as you grow older, um, you can't just do things and say, like, well, I'm sorry, I turned my homework in late. Let me tell you, like, as an adult, there's no, like, turning your homework in late for partial credit. That's just kind of not the way it goes. It's not just, like, let's be disrespectful and just say sorry about it, like, because that's not okay. It's not like let's steal something and just say, oh, I'm sorry, you can have it back. Like, do you think, do you think like a store owner is going to say like, oh, cool, you gave it back. That's awesome. No, what's, what's the store owner going to do? They're going to press charges. And so listen, that's like not, not necessarily like teaching you how to be a better Christian as much as it is just maybe teaching you how to be a human. So, so how, how do we fight this temptation? We all have it. We all experience it. How did Jesus fight it? That's what we're going to talk about. Jesus provides a perfect example. 
And, and I want to show you out of Matthew 4. The verses are going to be on the screen. We're going to read right through uh, the first 11 verses, and then we're going to kind of <clears throat> dig in and, and see if we can learn something. Okay, so uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says, this is the very, very kind of like beginning of what we know about Jesus' adult life. Uh, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that's just water, okay? Fasting means um, taking something away so that you can press into something else. In this case, he's going to be pressing into his relationship with his heavenly father. I know you're like, well, isn't Jesus God? Yes, but also he is the son of God, and he's, he's going to be communing with his heavenly father. So there's some like doctrinal stuff there for you. But he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. After that, he was hungry, no joke. Um, and the tempter came, this is the devil, and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you're talking to someone who's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, bread is tempting. Like bread is tempting to us, right? Bread is tempting to someone who hasn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The angels will catch you. Like, throw yourself down. It'll be a really cool trick. And then Jesus says, again, as it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him a third time to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the, wor kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship. I'm sorry, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then verse 11, uh, the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Going back to last week just a little bit, there was this verse that showed up on the screens out of Hebrews 4.15 that essentially says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is in, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so here's one of those doctrinal moments that I want to hand to you guys. This is like, does the church believe this? Where do we learn this from the Bible? We believe that Jesus lived a completely sinful life. You might call it a perfect life, a perfectly righteous life. And that had a lot to do with why he was qualified to make a sacrifice that covers the sin of all of humanity. Because he lived a perfect life, died a death that he did not deserve, and then rose again, defeating sin and death. If you rise again after you die, then you have some ability to um, tell people about what is true and what's not true. If you came from heaven to earth to um, pay for that price, you have power in my book. So the, 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 we, we, we know that he is a sympathetic high priest. Um, I want to kind of just dive in. These are not going to be on the screens, but just real quick. The first temptation that the devil tried to use to tempt Jesus was to turn stones into bread. So he's tempting him with hunger, right? The temptation of hunger. And you're like, well, that's hunger's not a sin. But if he's committed to, to fast and to finish his fast out, then yeah, that would, be, that would be sin for him. And in this case, what Jesus is saying is that I, I need bread less 
then I need the word of God. I need the word of God like I need oxygen. I want to say that one more time just so you catch it. What Jesus is saying, Jesus, perfect, son of God, here on this planet, I need the word of God more than I need oxygen. That's convicting to me. Because I don't feel like I need the word of God like I need oxygen. I will, I will breathe without even thinking about it. I will feed myself, take care of myself, give myself what I need. But Jesus' perspective on all this is that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The second temptation was throw yourself down, essentially like to create this sort of miracle. I'm looking at this verse, and I'm thinking it's really interesting that, that it's like, why is that a temptation? Throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. Anyone want to take a guess at what... what what you think is happening? What's the temptation there? He would have survived. But what's the point? Why would you be tempted to, to show his power? Yeah? Boasting. boasting. I think boasting is a good word. What about you? Is that your hand? Okay. Um, so here's what I, I even wrote, like, pridefully. Like, you get to do a miracle, and everyone gets to watch. Everyone's like, oh, that's so amazing. Did Jesus ever do miracles for applause? Why did, why did he do miracles? This is very important. Why did he do miracles? To help people? To allow people to have faith? To show them God. I heard show the power of God from Eli. Yeah. So I think, I think what Jesus is doing, and I think those are all really, really amazing an answers, to essentially allow people to have faith and also to, to kind of put some proof behind his words and to, and to help people understand, like, hey, I'm, I'm here to do what I said I was going to do. I will um, heal the blind. I will raise the dead. Right? I, I will do all sorts of things. Um, and, and so it wasn't like he's like, oh, all these people are hungry. I'm going to feed them, and everyone's going to applaud me, and I'm going to feel really good because I like applause. That wasn't so much about that. It was, it was Jesus showing people his power, which, remember, what's that verse in Colossians say that Jesus is the what? Huh? What does it say in Colossians? We said this a couple weeks ago, multiple times. He's the image of the invisible God. That's right. He's the image of the invisible God. When Jesus talks, God is talking to you. If you want to know what God's will is, look at Jesus and what he says. So in this third temptation, he says, I'm going to give you all these kingdoms if you just fall down and worship me. And in a sense, it's like, why is this happening? Well, I would say, like, first of all, for Jesus to worship Satan has to be like the ultimate win, right? The ultimate win, like, oh my gosh. Like, he's, he's like the, 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 the king of kings and the lord of lords, but he worships me. I guess that makes me the king of kings and the lord of lords. But I'm thinking that he's tempting Jesus with possessions and power. Now, if you're thinking like, well, this is, none of this is a big deal for Jesus. Like, he's the son of God. Like, he can do miracles. This is probably just light work for him. But the truth is, again, here's another, like, doctrine moment. Here's something we believe about Jesus. He was both fully man and fully God. And so, in some ways, 
fully God, what that means is, is that like he's got that divine power to do miracles. But by and large, he's, he's kind of setting these attributes aside or not using them to like fully experience humanity. Like he knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be probably like tempted to be angry and upset with someone in a sinful way. Right? Think of all the things that you're tempted to do that you know are sinful. Jesus was too. And you're like, there's no way. In every respect has been tempted like us, but without sin. That's something we believe about Jesus. Now, three things I want to show you really quickly. This is how Jesus fought temptation. And it's through the word of God. I think that you probably all see that happen. Three different times Jesus says, it is written. So the first point that I want to share with you is that Jesus quoted scripture on the spot. Jesus quoted scripture on the spot. It's interesting. If you look in your Bible, um, and maybe you don't have one right now, that's okay. He quoted uh, three different scriptures out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8.3 the first time. Deuteronomy 6.16 the second time. And 6.13 the third time. Okay, so he is quoting scripture to Satan um, why do you think that was his like method of warfare? It's Jesus. Does he need to? Why is that Jesus' method of warfare? Quoting scripture. Anybody? Shows that Satan is wrong. Yeah, God's word is a double-edged sword. Yep, yep. He knows there's power in those words. There's maybe another doctrinal moment. We believe there's actual power in these words. There's not power in my words. There's not, like, maybe God will use me in some, some, some cool ways or whatever. But when you read the scriptures, guys, the Holy Spirit wants to use that to, like, liven you up and illuminate those scriptures and bring you to life. Those, all those times that Jesus did miracles, it's, it's kind of like when we read God's word, someone said so that people could have faith. God wants you to have faith through reading his word. And so what we do, okay, so again, I know not all, not all of us are Christians in the room, so let me just talk to the Christians in the room for just a second. And non-Christians, you can kind of just look in on a little family conversation. Scripture is powerful. It is God-breathed. It is, it is there for reproof and rebuke and teaching. We talked about all those things in this this last series called Explained. Jesus himself used scripture. Now, what I love about this is that he quoted it from the top of the dome. And I see that uh, in Psalm 119, verse 11. This is a psalm that says, I have hidden your word or I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's it. Like, I could end the sermon now. I have stored up your word so that I might not sin against you. So here's where the rubber meets the road, Christians. And I want you to look at me. If you're falling to temptation, what scripture are you storing up in your soul and in your heart that you might not sin against him? That's just basic Christianity 101. If you're falling to temptation, what scripture are you pouring into your soul? Do you know why most Christians kind of bow out of the fight against temptation? 
It's because they never actually had the discipline to open this book up or to attend a, a few service like you're attending right now. Like, it is powerful. It's like one of, I would say, the two most powerful weapons against sin on this planet. We'll talk about the second one next week. Jesus quoted scripture. He knew this psalm. He quoted Deuteronomy, which, by the way, if you're the kind of person to say, like, ah, the Old Testament's just kind of the old stuff. It's the, it's the New Testament that's the important stuff. I don't think Jesus would agree with you. Does that blow your mind right there? Deuteronomy? You know what adults make jokes about Deuteronomy? It's like, oh, Deuteronomy is so rough. Leviticus is so rough. Jesus didn't think so. Jesus did not think so. All scripture is inspired. The second thing, I love this, the devil left Jesus after his attempt to tempt Jesus to sin. The devil left him. In fact, here's what's interesting. I think I put Matthew 4.11 on the screens next. We'll, we'll see if I did. Awesome. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels were coming and ministering to him. That's straight from the word of God. After that temptation... This reminds me of Elijah's story, right? Elijah experiences lots of victory in this huge moment in, 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 a, in a battle between him and the, the prophets of Baal. And then he gets this threat uh, from Jezebel. He runs, he hides in a cave, and then he has this moment where God himself is like ministering to Elijah to like bring him back to a sense of health. It's amazing. It's amazing. And God wants to do that for you. Like, I can tell you, I've told my, I told my testimony last, last week about how I feel like God had a special encounter with me, Mark Cox, me, not you, not my family, not my dad said, hey, I had an encounter, I want to tell you about it, and you can just accept it. And then, like, I had a point where I had to have an encounter with Jesus on my own, as my, my own self. It's not something, I don't care if you're born into a family that goes to church, like, that doesn't make you a Christian, like for years and years and years, I, I worked it out, but I had this moment where I felt like I was going through some struggles in life and, and I was tempted by some things and I felt like I had a moment with God where he was ministering to me and he wants to do that with you. And I would beg of you, I would beg of you to press into that. I dare you. I dare you. Engage the God and the creator of the universe, the God that we learn about in the Bible, but do it his way. Okay, do it his way because we're seeing Satan do it the wrong way right now, right? What is Satan doing wrong? Well, here's the, here's the next thing I want to share with you. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm getting ahead of myself. The next slide. Luke, Luke wrote a version of this. And, 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 and the same story, the very end, I, I found this interesting. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You know what that meant? Jesus didn't struggle with Satan once. And if you're ever like, man, we hear all these stories about these Bible heroes and all this, yeah, look what they did for God. It's like, man, Satan is at it over and over and over again. And you may feel like you're a target for Satan. Can I just tell you? You are. You are. Because the one thing Satan cares about is lying to you and deceiving you and being an adversary to you. He is there to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 says it so clearly. Steal, kill, and destroy. Do you know what God's for? To give you life and give you life more abundantly. Man, it's right there for us. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press forward. i got to hurry. Third thing, Satan twisted scripture in order to tempt Jesus. So it's interesting that if you're reading the story, um, in verse uh, 6, actually, Satan says, oh, you want to talk scripture? I can talk scripture. He goes, as it is written. And then he quotes out of Psalm 91. Now, do you know what's interesting about what Satan did there? I'm going to see who's been paying attention for the last month or so. He plucked a couple verses out of Psalm 91 and said, you can do anything you want, and the angels will come and, come and catch you. What did, who who rem, remembers what we talked about a couple weeks ago about plucking verses out? Can't take them out of context. Exactly. We said the phrase that we used was context creates clarity. And so what Satan is doing is doing what he's always done, and he's offered a counterfeit to what God has offered. It's like if someone hands you a $100 bill, but it's fake, it's been printed or something like that on like someone's printer. It's, it's worth nothing. It appears to be on a, a $100 bill. But if you go use that somewhere and they check it, they're going to say, this is fake. It holds no value. It's going to get you nowhere. And that's what Satan is offering you, counterfeits. I love it. You see it all the way. This is the last thing I want to share with you is um, Genesis chapter 3, the very first, very first temptation of Satan. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall need, eat of any tree of the garden? What is he doing? He's twisting scripture. He's questioning God's word. The woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. She's just repeating God's words, okay? Last verse, verse five out of that, um, or verse four and five. But the serpent says, again, twisting the words, you will not surely die. What did God say? You will surely die. What did Satan say? You will not surely. Well, let's see what happens. And can I just tell you, this is a big question I want to ask you, okay? And I really want you to listen to this. Did God's words change because Satan twisted them? Can I tell you why I'm banking on like Jesus 100% and nothing else? Because the world is trying to twist the words of God's word of Scripture. But just because someone on TikTok says, well, you know that Jesus didn't actually mean that when he said that, so the Bible's not real. <laughs> they don't talk like that on TikTok, actually. Some do, actually. I've seen those, yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not interested in any deceptions coming my way. It doesn't matter what other people say. If God's word says it, I'm putting my life on that foundation. And that's what I'm inviting you to do too. You're falling to temptation. I guarantee, listen to me, that you're not hiding God's word, storing God's word up in your heart. And I would just ask you, why not? Too busy. Okay. So here come the consequences. I don't know where to start. This is a great place to start. Imagine, imagine if, um, if Jesus decided to give in. Imagine what would happen if Jesus decided to give in. We would be hopeless. But because of his power. In fact, you know what? We were sitting there singing that last song. 
and I was thinking about how important it is. Mel, what's the, do you know what the last song, what that title is? Living Hope. I'm going to go look that up on Spotify as soon as I get home. Some of the lyrics that I wrote down here, praise the one who set me free. Death has lost its grip on me. Are you kidding me? So here's the deal. Christians in the room, especially you, death has lost its grip on you. Sin has lost its grip on you. The book of Romans, we are studying it right now on Sunday mornings. Please, please, please make it to Sunday morning because we are in, in this moment right now when I'm talking about you are not a slave to sin. Oh, you know, I just, I'm tempted, so I got to do it. I got to do it. Everyone else is doing it. No, like, no. Like, you have been given a new nature and the Holy Spirit to help you fight these things. I don't care who you are. Okay, adults have the same problems as students. We're tempted too. And you know what I got to do? Hide God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. You don't have to lose that battle. But don't miss, don't miss, okay, that Jesus is the one who paid the price so that you could be saved, so that you could be free. Don't miss the fact that even if you like fight temptation and you succeed and you win, that doesn't mean that you go to heaven because you're awesome or because you're powerful. You're not powerful. Christ's death on the cross and a relationship with him and faith in him is the only thing. Scripture says over and over, there's no name under heaven by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So like fight temptation, absolutely especially you Christians. You've been given a, a new nature. Fight temptation. But remember, don't put your faith in the fighting the temptation. Put your faith in Jesus who gives you the Holy Spirit to fight the temptation. We'll talk more about that next week. I'm gonna pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these students. Lord, I do pray. Lord, I'm on fire tonight for my life, for my family's life, and for these students' lives that we would fight temptation by your word and that we would hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, for those of us in the room that haven't placed our faith in you, I pray that they would do it. I pray that they wouldn't wait another day. Lord, it's all in your name that we pray. Amen.